And hey, welcome to UBS Underground. I'm playing with a new toy today, and it's a lot of fun. Uh, so there was a countdown. That was pretty cool. I dig it. I dig it. Uh, let's uh, jump in. I got Douglas here with me, Super Chief. I love that you put in Super Chief, man. That's, that's, that's what you've fun. been calling me. So Okay. Am I wrong? It depends on your perspective. All right. EMT, lot, right? advanced, right? EMTA. Yes. Volunteer fire chief for local department. For how yeah. many years? Uh, Ten. Okay. Uh, chief of chiefs on top of that, right? For, for the county. Yeah. Yeah. FEMA. Technically GEMA, but yeah. Yeah. GEMA. Okay. Uh, instructor fire something or other. Yes. It, EMS instructor at all? Yes. Uh, you've taught at the academy in Forsyth? Yes. Uh, yeah, I'm right. So, screw you, man. I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> so, it is all there. Uh, but, yeah, so today I wanted to talk about the differences between some fire and EMS. I was teaching on recording lectures on Hazmat earlier today and talking about this command system. And even I recorded a lecture yeah, last week, two weeks ago, on incident command and how EMS uses it versus how fire uses it. So I thought it'd be fun. There's always super chief here today about, uh, cause I've been strictly EMS. I've dabbled, dabbled in the world of fire being okay. I'll volunteer, but I'm really just going to drive the truck there and play with the shiny buttons. I'm not going into a house, you know, but, but because I was stationed at the fire station, like, look, it'd be really helpful if you became an official volunteer. That way, if a fire crawl came out, you can officially drive the fire truck over there. So on and so forth. Um, so yeah, oh, I like that it's showing me my likes and my views right now. That's cool. This is StreamYard. This is the free version. Uh, if it works out today, which it looks like it will, I'll probably buy the the regular version for all my media and use it here as well. Anyway, neither here nor there. Uh, but Douglas, you you've been in volunteer fire forever. I want to put this in just for funsies. What's up, Nathan? I love that. I can put the comment in right there live, and it pops up on screen. So hey. Uh, but yeah, you've you've been a volunteer firefighter for a while. You did that first, right? Before you did any kind of EMS. Well, okay, technically we did EMS by doing first aid CPR when we were fifteen and sixteen. Nah. But you know, I don't count what I did in your shadow as anything that I did. Oh, <laughs> so you have never done anything in your life? Because I believe I got married first. I introduced you to your <laughs> wife. Uh, I had kids first. Um, I left the church I was talking first. about <laughs> when we innovated a pickup truck. <laughs> <laughs> oh, now that's a beautiful story. Okay. Okay. So I used to drive this Ford 78 Ford F-150, right? It was a great truck. It was just a get around truck. And uh, I, I, I wish we still had it. I wish I'd known what I know now about who was going to help me out with, help me out with money and this and that because uh, the transmission went out on it. And those things are fairly expensive. But something was going wrong. I forget what. Do you remember what was going wrong with the truck, uh, uh, Douglas? You ran it out of gas. Did I? Did I? Yes. Did I? That's okay. why we had to repressurize the fuel system. Okay. <laughs> I don't remember what we were doing. So, okay. So, I ran it out of gas, and I filled it up with gas, and, of course, it won't turn over. And you were like, man, I need some kind of pump, some kind of something to, to pressurize the system, and we don't have it. I'm like... Wait just a minute, sir. And we're at the fire station, right? I think it's in Jasper County, probably. Yeah. And we're at the fire station. I go in there and I pick up, I pick up a bag valve mask, and I start looking at my innovation tubes. I'm like, mm, six point five looks about right. And I brought it to you, and you cut off part of it because we didn't need the whole thing, right? Right. And then you stuck it into the fuel lines. Yes. And you just pressurize the fuel lines <laughs> with a bag valve mask, right? Right. So yeah. that's 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 EMS in a nutshell. We think outside the box. The firefighter's like, well, I don't have a compression hose and I don't have a, a farfanuger coupler to hook it up. And you know, and like here, here's some tools, duct tape it, and you did. But what else happened that day? Uh, was that when you <laughs> almost set me on fire for the like third time? No, I almost blew you up though. <laughs> See, I also happened to have some M80s for whatever reason in my backpack at the station. And here he is, and he's got a little cup of fuel, right? Uh, you gasoline. Would be surprised how many fireworks are at volunteer fire stations just in general. <laughs> I get that. I get that. You know, um, 
because we get bored, right? And it is a little surprising. Now, if it's not a station that somebody's at all the time, I'm really surprised. But yeah, so I had some fireworks for whatever reason. And you had this open little Dixie cup of gasoline next to you because you kept you know, putting it in, pressurizing, whatever. And I threw it a good half a foot to foot away from you. I mean, plenty of distance <laughs> not to kill you. But his head's in the engine compartment. And I set off the firecracker and he heard as white as white could be. I mean, he jumped. He, he was, I think I actually pissed you off just a little bit with that one, maybe. Yeah. In the moment. So, but yeah, I can fix it. If you got burned, I can fix it. Yes. You, at that time, you could have. <laughs> before I got involved in any of the official uh, emergency services, I think so, I was still in, I was still in college at that time. So I wasn't officially doing anything. I don't remember. It's been a while. It's definitely when I lived on the lake. Yeah. Uh, so, um, what drew you to fire over EMS? Uh, well, my dad was a uh, volunteer firefighter. Um, so I kind of had it in my mind that I wanted to do something. If Once I had settled down and I knew I wasn't going to be moving anymore, I kind of wanted to do something, um, you know, to kind of help out the county. Uh, I got into the fire because at the time I was like, well, EMS takes all this school and stuff, and then you got to get yeah. a job. And I've got yeah. a job; I don't need another job, you know. <laughs> uh, young and dumb, but you know. <laughs> so if you're if you're really dumb, you would have just dropped everything <laughs> on an EMS. That's that's <laughs> yeah. I'm pretty sure when you went to when you got started with all that, you were working for the government, uh, yes. like you are now. Uh, matter of fact, I uh, was. I was in the early stages of my federal career, uh, and I was trying to take Nicole fishing. And so we uh, were going into Elberton, and we stopped by a uh, bait shop and ran into one of the guys that was in the fire department that uh, was like, oh, you've got a federal job. We, we need some help with some federal grants. Because those go hand in hand, right? I'm a janitor at a federal building. But sure, I'll help you with that grant. <laughs> well, considering I could read and write, it was a step up from what they had. <laughs> I bugged the dog out, volunteer firefighters, but you know, I'm just saying, he said it. Super chief over here. Um, <laughs> so so you, you got involved in that. Then ultimately, you crossed over to EMS, and you are an advanced EMT now, and you yeah. do some, some uh, ride. You ride like once or twice a month at least. I, I try to do at least once a month. Uh, they've had some shift uh, coverage issues lately. Um, a lot of people are part-time. So they, they, okay. they've got their core group of full-time people, but the vast majority, I'd say we've got, I don't know, six, five, six full-time people and probably 15 or 20 part-time people. And so because of COVID, uh, a lot of the part-time people aren't doing as much part-time stuff because their full-time places are giving them grief about, well, if you, if you catch this oh, wow. okay. job, then it's your part-time jobs problem. And they go, well, I'm not covered with my part-time job. <laughs> yeah. You know, that's, that's, that's something to dive into here. That's something to talk about a little bit is that's, that's kind of fair though, right? It's you work a full-time job with other employees and other people who are there, and that job may or may not be going through the things they need to go through, like temperature checking and, and making sure that everything's good. But everybody has to follow by regulations and by, by practices. So that's it's sucky, but would you say that's kind of fair to go, mm, we don't really want you going out and handling potentially COVID patients and then coming work here? I can I can understand from an employer perspective that they want to focus on what they employ you to do. Um, I don't I don't know why there isn't some better understanding in the EMS profession specifically, because these employers know just statistically, the vast majority of people that have full-time jobs in one place have one or more part-time jobs somewhere else. And and I'm not saying they work 40 hours here and 20 hours there or whatever. It's, EMS just doesn't work like that. But say, sure, right. 
say you've got your full-time job with, you know, company A or county A, and, you know, you work one or two shifts a month with company B. That's, that's a part-time thing. Yes. Well, company A doesn't want to pay for anything that you do while you're working for company B, but company B goes, well, you're only here once a month. We're not going to give you any kind of insurance or whatever. Obviously there's, you know, if, if, if you have a, a, a work related injury that's specific to company B, there's, there's stuff for that. But if you're coming back and saying, well, you got sick. Well, was it sick here? Was it sick there? Was this, you know, you can't prove that you got COVID from company A or company B unless company B, you know, you're, you're French kissing some COVID patient or some stupid thing. I mean, what kind of fire department do you work for, man? Hey, we've been talking about volunteers. (laughs) So, uh, well, uh, okay. So, but with business and even in the state of Georgia, it's a right to hire, right to fire state. So it doesn't really matter if they can prove it. If they go, you work, with the volunteer fire department, or you pick up part-time shifts on an ambulance, and we know the likelihood of you being exposed to COVID is much higher statistically. I'm making all this up, right? But yeah. because theoretically, you're going to get that 911 call that's a fever, that is this and that, and then you're exposed to whatever that fever is, being it COVID or not. You know, they, they can go, it doesn't matter what can, we can prove. You had a, an unsafe job as a side job. I guess it depends on their policies and their procedures. I know when I worked for national EMS, there was forms that said, if I wanted to go get a second job, I was supposed to get approval from them first. You know, yeah. they, they didn't want us want me competing with them and the non-emergency section and working for another non-emergency company. Typically, if you work 911, as long as you were there, when you're full-time at national, you, that was your number one job. So even if you worked full-time somewhere else, it was supposed to be national first. And then somebody else, it didn't really work that way. They actually were flexible and worked with people who are like, no, I work for Henry County fire or DeKalb fire, whatever. And that's my primary, but I still want to work my off days full time with you and I can work my shit. And they worked with that, but it was supposed to be typically we hire you. This is your primary job. Um, and they, they reserved the right to say, well, we can't tell you not to get that other job, but if you do, we're going to fire you. And that's okay. Cause they had a policy for that. And that's, Man, that's that's the the weird area that we get into, especially now with the COVID stuff and everything else. I mean, you could easily say, well, I don't want you going running fires at four in the morning because you got to be here at eight in the morning and you're going to show up smelling like smoke and you hurt your ankle and your tires all get out. You've had three hours of sleep and I need you to process these TP 14 reports or whatever for the weekend. Yes, Uh, I I do. with my federal job, I have to do a, um, what's it called? Uh, a disclosure notice. There's, there's a fancy lawyer name for it, but I have in my personnel file with the federal government, uh, documents that says I am a volunteer firefighter. Uh, I'm a advanced EMT. I'm a CPR instructor. I'm a fire instructor. Anything that I do, because the federal government says whether it's paid or not, uh, if you have, it doesn't say license, but it, there's, there's language in there where basically our lawyer said, uh, because you're doing something that has a specific technical skill, I mean, you're not just going out and volunteering on, you know, volunteering to pick up trash or, right, right. Uh, you know, volunteering for, uh, you know, a, a charitable organization that, that you may volunteer with once or twice a year because you are doing something that is a technically qualified skill, I've got to do disclosures in my federal job. So far, they haven't said anything about what I've been doing in the last six months, but I, I don't poke the bear. Uh, well, yeah. You know, and, uh-huh, uh-huh. So uh, let's talk about, let's talk about some, how we approach some scenes. So we talked last time you were on, we talked about volunteering in the world of COVID and, how there's a lot of people who are either being mandated, you're not mandated, but you know, the counties are going, no, we're not responding to those calls at all right now. But you get called just in general in, in the fire service, where does volunteering draw the lines? I know most paid services will respond to every call in their zone. And there's some, they definitely like, Hey man, 
get there and cancel us. Okay. We don't, we don't, we really don't want to run. We don't need to be. And, and it's a call that maybe they don't need to be there, but they, they are mandated by their County in a paid service working side by side with EMS or, or like in the cab County, they own the EMS certificate and they hire a company to do it. The fire trucks run, but where does volunteering? I mean, it's volunteer. Basically you can choose to run or not run any call you want. Right. Right. So you can't force any of our first responders to go anywhere. What our county has done is just simply stopped paging them for anything that's related to uh, fever, nausea, uh, diarrhea, uh, um, stubbed toe, my stomach hurts, you know, those kind of things. Yeah. The, the difficulty breathing stuff. Um, they are. Hey, you don't go to difficulty breathing? You're a evil human being. They don't send first responders to difficulty breathing because it could be COVID related. They send. Oh, now. Okay. Pre COVID before that though, before that though, y'all went to difficult difficulty breathing was a standard dispatch first responder call, right? Yes. Before COVID first responders were paged for every single thing EMS did except nursing home and jail. Okay. So that, that was just, that's where they drew the line was there, nursing home and yeah. jail, but turned out. I know when I was in Morgan County, uh, there was there were calls that they'd be toned out for and calls they wouldn't be toned out for, but it was a lot more than just nursing home and jail that they would not be toned out for at all there. So okay, all right. So of course EMS goes on just about everything. Uh the only thing we would not get toned out for well, no, that's not true. Sometimes somebody would goof up and tone us out, but technically if it was a brush fire. We weren't EMS was not supposed to be toned, you know. Right. Only only fire was supposed to be toned out for that. The uh, what they're supposed to do, and like you said, they they sent an ambulance at three o'clock in the morning to a fire alarm, and had a really really upset medic. What they're supposed to do is only page an ambulance when there is a confirmed structure fire and you're going right. to have firefighters inside or you have the potential of patients yeah. on the scene. Uh, if it is a storage building, if it's a vehicle, if it's a brush fire, if, if you're not going to be in a red zone, hot zone, if, if you're not, if you're not yeah. packing out to go inside something and I know you stop screaming, you pack out for cars. I get it, but our I don't. Is, <laughs> there are other people in this world. Yeah. Yeah, um, they're, they're not important. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but no, I, I definitely get what you're saying. I hear what you're, you're saying there. And yeah, you're right. There were some other things I didn't get turned out of for. The only time that I can recall actually getting in trouble with my fire chief. So that's when I was in Rockdale County. <laughs> I worked with National EMS. And so we were private, but we were stationed at the headquarters for Rockdale County Fire. And so we had to really, uh, we really had to toe the lines of no sleeping there. You know, all the firehouse rules like, but I'm not a firefighter. It didn't matter. It's one of those national fully believe you're part of the team. So if you're in the fire station, you follow their rules, period. And the fire chiefs were really good to me, especially if I worked a 48-hour shift. They, they knew that I was always there to toe the line. I'm always there here. How can I help clean the station? Uh, is there anything I can help you do? If you're doing uh, in-house con ed stuff, I'll participate. You know, I'll help teach you some stuff, whatever. You know, I was always there to help out and be, be a part of the team. And they really looked after me, too. If I worked a 48-hour shift and I was really dragging, like, look, man, why don't you go? The chief would say, why don't you go into my room and shut the door and take a nap? You know, go do that. Even though we're not supposed to say it's my room, nobody's going to ask questions. You know, there was times like that that they helped me out. So the one time I can recall getting in trouble with the fire chief was they got toned out. I mean, it was 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning. Four o'clock. I'd already been out on two or three other calls since dinner you know maybe four or five other calls since dinner and i hadn't really been sleeping and they get toned out and and man the chief's car takes off right ahead of everybody else and i'm i'm dragging my butt to the ambulance and the fire truck takes off and the chief's car gets there whoever gets there first calls it in says look all we have a smoke showing uh no fuck it's like confirmed structure fire blah blah like no we just have some smoke we're gonna check it out and then it's like there's no confirmed it's not a structure fire there's just smoke and I went, fifth floor, 601 today, the station click and went back to bed. And the chief, and they were out there for another hour or so. And, and our shift changes at 6.30 and there's at 7. Uh, they come rolling in about 6, 6.30. And uh, you could hear noise as you would anyway. And I'm starting to get up. And then chief, let me sleep. 
And I slept from like four to six thirty, so I got like two hours sleep. And then he's like, "What the hell's wrong with you, boy? You know, I didn't cancel you. You do not cancel yourself off the scene." I'm like, "Like this one eye open. I'm sorry, Chief. I won't do it again, Chief. I appreciate you, man. Can I go home now? Thanks." Yeah, I was like, "He's like, yeah, okay, you're good." But yeah, he chewed. It was like a thirty second butt chewing, right? But it was because I cleared myself from the scene without ever going there, without asking his permission. And he's like, no, nah, that's not cool. I had people on scene. Things could have gone wrong. But he also gave me a lot of slack because, again, I was there to, to help out. So, let me tell you the last time I was on a fire scene and released the med unit. Okay. We go out to a fire. Uh, the guy had gone to work, night shift, nobody home, nobody in the residence. It is a complete burnt to the ground, gone. Done. So All right. the, the ambulance is out there. We're doing mop-up. And I'm like, look, guys, just we're not in the structure. It's we're not fighting anything. It's burn itself out. Go back, get some sleep, whatever. Not five minutes later, I was back on the radio. Hey, can you come back out? Oh, here? No! This guy just <laughs> fell out. I, oh. I, we were having a conversation and he just fell straight backwards. Like a light switch. I think he's, I don't know. Come back. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. <laughs> Oh man. Uh now that we're on these stories, my worst scene. Uh monkey humping a football comes to mind. <laughs> um and and honestly, okay. I, I want to clarify this story with I'm never here to dog out firefighters or volunteers. You know, yeah, you volunteer your time. I give you a little extra appreciation for that, but I hold a standard as all fire chiefs should. So I hope Douglas holds this standard of you gotta put the work in. You got to get the training in. You got to take it serious. It's not fun and games. And you need to follow the rules. The rules are there for a reason. And this is a story I tell anybody who listens when they ask about a fire versus EMS and, uh, and volunteer fire versus professional department. And really, it's not about paid versus unpaid. It's about standards and professional department. They usually have higher standards than some volunteers. And after I tell the story, Douglas, I want to hear what your standards are. For your volunteers, because uh, you're the chief of the chiefs, so I'm sure you set standards over everybody, but you can definitely control your station. So we get toned out for this house, a beautiful house. I knew what this house was. I, I passed by it uh, every day when I came to work. Uh, it was a quarter mile from the station, maybe a half mile from the station. It was literally around the corner from the volunteer station that is right there, and it's a structure fire, Okay. And now this home had been added onto. It had four fireplaces in each corner. Some of it was stone. Some of it was wood. It had been. It started a smaller house and made this beautiful two-story house, beautiful grounds, this and that and the other. And firefighters get in. Here's what I witnessed rolling up, right? Volunteers there, and we're on it. We're here to confirm structure fire flames are showing. Back room only. The back room, Douglas, has at least two walls. That are, the exterior walls are stone walls. There's a window. There's a pool. All right. Okay. The front of the house, nothing's touching it yet. Right? It's made of wood. So the first thing I literally witnessed a firefighter do is I'm pulling into the driveway with the ambulance with other fire trucks coming in. It's a firefighter in a t-shirt and turnout pants and tennis shoes. Run out to the front door. Kick it in. Remember, try before you pry. Eh, that's not a thing for him. Kicks it in, then turns around and runs away. Didn't go in to check on people. Just kicks in the door and runs away. At the same time, firefighter Fred, unbeknownst to me, is punching out the window in the room that has fire. Because maybe we'll throw a hose through the window because there's a pool here. What did it just do, Super Chief? It's called a fire path. It opened up the freaking oxygen Yes. Oh my God. So, I mean, that's how this goes. This house builds and builds. They never do anything with the pool, which why would you? The stone is to the pool. You go into the front of the house with a hose and push the fire up against the wall and put it out, right? Save the structure. There was so much that went wrong with this thing. And we set up, we set up rehab. We had the other truck go to the local grocery store and grab us, you know, uh, a couple of gallons, as many gallons as they would donate of Gatorade and water and, and bottle. And we already had bottled waters and stuff. So we set up a little tent. We, and these firefighters, man, they're rushing, they're <laughs> hyped up and they're putting on their full turnout gear. And I asked the dude eventually, because he's putting on his pants, I'm like, 
Why the hell did you go kicking the door? Well, just in case anybody's in there. Is there? I don't know. Yeah, because you kicked in the door, you ran away. What the hell's wrong with you? And and so then we see people, I mean, they suit up and they go in and they're fighting the fire. There's what little I know about incident command for fire is there's supposed to be like a key tag in thing, right? Where we know Bubba's in the house and Bubba Jr.'s in the house and the Cole Jr.'s in the house and whatever names we can come up with, you know, and these aren't. And when they come out, the tag comes off. None of that. We don't know who's in the house, who's not. And about the time Oconee County comes in as backup, right? They called in another volunteer station, but called in Oconee County because right on the line. And they come rolling out, and it's like, our firefighters are coming out after being in for three minutes, dude. Three minutes fighting this fire. <laughs> Ripping off their mask, hot as can be, just puking their brains out because I'm sure they're hyperventilating inside their mask. They're <laughs> and these guys come out. They lay some lines that are nice and pretty and straight. And the chief kind of looks at the door, looks at the firefighters, and went, well, I guess it's a fully involved structure fire now, and they start attacking the outside. And and that was that was the biggest difference in standards that I see from even what I hold on EMS, which there's all variants of EMS and what you can get away with, what you can't. I never look at what I can get away with. I look at what I want to do and how I'm proud of myself and what's right and what's safe. But that standard of almost zero training, it felt like for these volunteers and this professional crew coming in going night and day, right? That's, that's, so and that that all that's left standing of that house was the fireplaces that was it and it literally was fire in one room when we got there what are your standards you hold standards for training how would you have run that scene being the on-scene fire chief if i was there and i had adequate resources uh what we would do is set up a primary engine to make an entrance through the front door you would have two guys in the back for ventilation, but if you already see smoke and flames out the back, you're not going to open up any other holes. You take your four guys in the front and you make entrance through the front to try to push the fire away from the unburned area. Now, that's if I was there, if we had enough resources, the problem with your volunteers is that I'm not the first one that gets there. We don't have an engine that gets there. You've got Larry Mm -hmm. that shows up with his brush truck and or is Mazda XRX? <laughs> the, the, the critical minutes of a, a volunteer response are getting the people that know what to do in place. So I try to emphasize in my classes, everybody needs to know what to do. The difference being with, with the Firefighter 1 curriculum that I have taken and looking at, at what they expect and an when I say that, I mean IFSTA. It's just, it, it's the standard that we've been using. The way IFSTA puts out the curriculum is that Firefighter 1, you take orders. They, they very, very generally go over uh, scene size up, very generally go over the analysis stuff. Now, I haven't gotten in depth in the seventh edition yet, but from the fifth and sixth, they really expect the initial firefighters to take orders. That doesn't work with volunteers. The initial firefighters have to be able to make those decisions and then follow through with it. So what you get is the guy who hasn't been to a meeting in six months because meetings are boring, but, oh, my God, this is a fire. Oh, man. Yeah. And so you have a lot of stuff. Give me flashbacks. Mm. You have a lot of uncontrolled actions uh, at the beginning. And sometimes, like you said, by the time someone gets there, it's irrevocable. You, you can't overcome what's been done. Um, I talked with a guy from Metro Atlanta, and I mean, th- this was like downtown Metro Atlanta. And okay. he said that their response was five to seven minutes. I'm like, wow, we don't even get a page in seven minutes. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's maybe true, but yeah. Yeah, that's, oh, I, I've, oh man, I have sat in the 911 center, I pulling in some extra time, whatever I was doing, I was volunteering. I don't remember. But I was sitting there, and we had um, a guy who was the, basically the main dispatcher, and I was working with him that day, and he was showing me, because I was handling the non-emergency side, like, here's the brush fire stuff, here's how you issue, uh, not brush fire, but here's how when somebody calls, say, I need, I want to burn stuff in my yard, here's the information you get, here's how you issue a number, backup line in case the, the 911 rang a second time while he's on the line, that kind of thing. But I'd watch him get a 911 call for a motor vehicle accident. And it was like molasses. 
right. What's your location? I'm like, do you want me to go ahead and tone the truck? No, 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 man, I gotta go. Well, okay, you're at this road and this road. Okay, I know where that is. You want me to? No, 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 man. And it's like he get all the information, and then and I'm like in my head going one one thousand two. Dude, we're a minute in. We're a minute and a half in. You ain't told nobody. What's wrong with you, man? And finally, like three minutes in, which that's the first they've heard of this. I'm like, dude, I'm sitting right here. I could have dropped those tones and go stand by for a call. You've got, and while I'm doing that, he's got the location. You got a possible MVC at this crossroads right here. You go for it. And and he's three and a half minutes in, he finally drops the tones. Like, all right, 1201. Y'all got a MVC over at these crossroads. And then, of course, they're getting up, putting on their apps, and he's just, like, holy crap, is this what every call is like? We're already three minutes in before you tone us? What the hell, man? So, yeah, I know. I know that some of them, some people and some dispatches can be like, of course, then you got the other one. Have you ever had the Ebonics dispatcher? Yes. Yeah. I, I can't, I can't, I can't stand that. It's, it's because even I talk fast. So I, if I'm on the radio, I need to be like, okay. And I'm just going to use numbers that I've had before, right? Okay, 1201, you've got a motor vehicle accident at the crossroads of Smith Street and Bang Street. Be a 1201? 1201, 1202, mostly 1202. That was my first chief's number. Vesta was station 12. Ah, well, in Morgan County, I I think the county number was 12 or something. Uh, Roy Perry said it bees that way. (laughs) 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 But uh, we got a, a dispatcher. Well, of course, the guy I was talking about, the slow guy, um, he would dispatch. He would literally dispatch. You remember five years ago when lightning struck that tree down and, and it burned down? That's where you're going to turn. No, I got hired on six months ago, dude. I have no idea what you're talking about. Give me cross streets. Give me addresses. <laughs> but they hired somebody who just, you've got to be able to communicate. And yes, even I I um, crossed over you know, with, with my words. I mumble. I've learned to be clearer and better about how I speak. Uh, but we had this, this girl came on. We need, we need y'all go down to him and asking. And I'm like, what, what did you say? I need you to go. I hear MVC. You're going to have to speak slower and clearer. Cause I literally cannot understand a word that you're saying. Um, but yeah, Roy, Roy's like, that's me. I know where that is. Yeah. Cause Roy, you've lived in that County your entire life. He's, this dude, Roy Perry, has been involved in Morgan County emergency since he was 14 or 16 years old. He's something like 205 now or something. I don't know. He's been with every professional agency that's come through that county. Uh, he was with fire. He's, yeah, you know, yes, you know where the lightning struck the tree and burned the tree down. Even to this day, I don't know where that stupid tree is at all, <laughs> you know. Um, but, okay, so so that's the difference, right? That we're talking about dispatching and this and other what about like hazmat or let's go with incident command that's a good universal one incident command so i know when i taught it incident command in the ems books is incident commander medical officer transport officer one other and that's the whole breakdown like no there's so much more to this breakdown of incident command is is you guys that command then you can have finance officer you can have communications officer you can have uh um uh liaison like press liaison underneath there depending on the size of the scene right so when you're talking about firefighter one expecting them to take orders whereas in volunteer you're right you have to go and set up here's the information you need here's the command here's what i need to happen then as structure comes into place hand it on up that do you guys do you i know you're coming from a volunteer organization but do you practice incident command on every fire scene every scene you go on no uh, our incident command stops at the incident commander. Uh, we preach incident command. We try to facilitate incident command, but you get a lot of times people say, I'm in command. And what that means is they want to tell people what to do. There's never a command structure. There's never a command staff. They never get farther than I'm in charge. That's wow. my experience with volunteer fire and, and incident command. And, you know, to a, to an extent, uh, you could change uh, that. Yeah. We're, 
we're trying to get to a point where we practice doing incidences instead of we, we have no training facility in our county so when you get to a fire scene that's that's the first time that people have seen four or five trucks come together that's the first time people have seen you know i've seen your property i'm pretty sure you could light some crap on fire and train some firefighters on your property officially we have no training facility <laughs> what may or may not have transpired in uh, but what you're saying yeah live fires is where you, well, that is a hard place to be to only be able to train on live fires because how often does that even happen in your county uh twice like ever i mean twice <laughs> a month i don't you gotta gotta qualify that a little bit better We've had two working structure fires in 2020. Okay. So, wow, eight months in. Yeah. 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 I mean, that's the thing. You uh, might get turned out for more stuff, but how often is a scene safe enough to teach on yeah. and big enough to learn something on? And to an extent, I mean, we have issues with uh, incident command on, on something like an MVC. Uh, or, yeah, MVC. We're not supposed to call them accidents anymore. They're collisions because accidents imply that it was unavoidable anyway uh if you get an ambulance crew that shows up they're supposed if they're the first ones there before the fire departments before the cops ambulance gets there first that ambulance crew according to national incident management system that paramedic is the incident commander and mm -hmm. that never i have never seen that happen because you don't ride with me and i like to control everything <laughs> Um, no, I don't, you don't see that very often either. Uh, I haven't seen and that very I'm often either in my career. They're derelict in their duty. I'm saying the guy gets out of the truck and he's focused on the patient. He could care less about traffic control or about, uh, you know, leaking fluids. He's, yeah. Hey, I've got a patient to deal with part of that. So I'll, I'll, I'll say that's fire versus EMS and I'm, I'm on the MS side. Right. So part of that is I've gotten to a scene and there's already a volunteer firefighter out there waving people through and this and that. And I can see where they, how they parked their vehicle or the fire truck or whatever, or I parked my ambulance where it blocks off the space. I've made myself a work zone and I know they're going to bring them around over here. Cause that's how this works. And they're going to handle that. So I don't necessarily take scene command. I'm going to go, okay. When my scene survey homeboy is handling traffic. I know the cops will be here soon enough. They're right behind us. I've got, I got to survey my patients. I've got to survey the scene for safety and see what's going on, mechanism, injury, those kind of things. So, yes, you're right. I would have to say most of my experiences with volunteer fire have been, I've got a patient to worry about. Just don't get me killed. Um, yeah. However, I, the one thing I, I, the one time I really implemented incident command, it was in Jasper County. And it held, that's why I said you, personally, Super Chief, can change something. Because Ed Westbrook was a fire, like you, he was the fire chief of uh, a station in Jasper County. He was also the man that the government employed to run all the volunteer fire services. So he was super chief over that. He was uh, over dispatch. He was over EMS. Uh, he was GEMA. You know, so he, he, had, he held the power. Um, but he held that standard of this is how we run incidences. And every fire scene I ever worked with him, it was like that. We set up a fix. Like I said, I did many, many years next to Rockdale County Fire you being that was EMS and watching how that system ran and they ran incident command every time, you know, engine one's on scene, uh, setting up command. And that's how they ran every structure fire everywhere. But that's a city where they'd run. They probably ran almost as many calls as EMS did. Right. You know, so they, they ran a lot of calls. It's a high call volume County back to the point. They've added more stations since uh, my time there. Uh, but Jasper County being volunteer, you know, I'd watch that. I'd come in and if it was a structure fire and I'm there to support EMS or support fire by being EMS, I would go ahead and set up command <laughs> and take over because I knew, like you said, there are some go-getters out there you wouldn't see ever for six months. All of a sudden they're coming home from the beach and they show up in their flip-flops and shorts because they're passing right by the fire. And I just want to take a hose in. No, moron, you need turnout gear for that. I know that. And I'm commander. I have paramedic on my patch. Screw you, man. You can't outrank me. You know, <laughs> Uh, but he would show up and he would do a legit turnover of command. And that was, I always appreciated about that about him and how he ran his fire service. Like you, he did a lot of internal classes, firefighter one, two classes, those kind of things. 
He actually tried to do an EMT class at one point, I think. Um, but yeah, I set up incident command on a two-car vehicle uh, at a collision, two-vehicle collision, uh, because one was on fire, three patients were out of the car, one was unconscious, unresponsive, and I had a dude impaled in a car up on a hill. I'm like, yeah, no, this is a mass casualty for me. And we set up command, and we did their stuff, and it, it flowed that way. And actually, April Franklin's here. Ronnie Franklin was on that call with me. Uh, how is Ronnie doing, April? I know the last time, two weeks ago, you popped in and said he was not doing very well. Uh, he had COVID. He was on a ventilator. I have not heard anything since. I kind of hate to put you on the spot and ask publicly, but I am interested in how Ronnie might be doing. But that is that was what teaching EMS instead of command was really weird because it really focuses on, okay, the mindset of who writes the books is, okay, you're going to show up and there's going to be an incident commander. And when that incident commander is there, and of course, I guess, oh, well, you might be the commander and then blah, 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 you got to do this, blah, blah, you got to do that. But then you turn over command and that's three lines. And then it's uh, maybe a paragraph on, okay, you really got to know triage because the triage officer does this, 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 and this. And then, or you got to know transport because this is what the transport officer is doing. And, you know, logist, you know, and it really goes into just the medicine of incident command, which I think is a really weak and bad way to teach ENTs entering the field. This is what incident command is, unless, of course, you go to a fire service and then you'll learn more. I, do you go beyond when you teach firefighter one? Because you're teaching volunteers. Do you teach more than what they're doing? Yes. Uh, we... We go to the point of saying, look, here's here's the curriculum. Here's what the book, you know, layout is. This this is your national incident structure. They do the uh, 100, 200, 700, 800 as, as really a prerequisite to the, the fire course. But we always take the time to sit down and go through, okay, look, this – this curriculum is based on having an engine company, a truck company, a tanker crew, a med crew, and having defined responsibilities. It looks at, you know, sergeants and captains and uh, battalion chiefs. This is how you're going to see this happen in Ogathorpe. This is the way things respond. And usually what we'll do is we'll take the last fire. And so I try to get somebody that was there. And we walk through, so look, you know, this is what happened. Not trying to argue good, bad, or otherwise, this is what happened. Because I will never go back and armchair quarterback somebody for the decisions they made on the scene to critique them. If they want to know, hey, how can we make this stuff better? All right, well, here's the things that you could think about. But if somebody goes, well, why did so-and-so do that? Well, because he was in charge, and that's the decision he made at the time. But if it's a bad decision, you'll address that in private, well, right? Yes. If, okay. if you have something that's... Otherwise, I'm never driving to Oglethorpe County again. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm not talking about, you know, gross incompetence or negligence or anything that's just dangerous, but say, you know, well, uh, why, did, uh, why did he nurse the tanker instead of setting up a drop tank? Or, you know, why did he, uh, um, you know, run a, a shuttle to the hydrant instead of laying, you know... 2,000 feet of hose because that's what he wanted to do or she. So yeah, we, we in Ogathorpe try to take a specific incident that occurred that some people may remember and go, this is how this worked on this scene. And we kind of critique it. We go, well, this, you know, we, we didn't have the chief that showed up first. We didn't have, uh, we didn't have all the trucks that we could have had, or this is what we saw when we got there. And this is, this is how we reacted to it. So if you see this again, remember, these are the resources that are available to you. This is relating to, you know, talking about the hose streams or ventilation or fire paths. This is what happened on this incident. This is why we're talking about this stuff in this book. All right. I like it. I like it. Um, that's basically called table topping, except you're doing it uh, with students instead of with uh, uh, the people involved. Right. So if you have yeah. an incident and it's uh, any incident, whether it goes right or wrong, I've always felt like and I've gotten very little response on this. Hey, let's 
let's the next day that we're on shift or you know if it's a volunteer let's set a special meeting and do this but let's do it fairly close to the incident and let's break it down with no accusations no why'd you do this or that let's say okay what went right and what went wrong and what can we learn from it so that we're breaking it down and what what would be known as a safe environment right as as a place of of because if it is incompetence if there is something wrong that they did then yeah you need to sit down with them in private and address that for sure but if it's just well you could have run a shuttle line and that would have been better or you could have run 2000 feet of hose whatever you know if it could have this might have been better yeah in the moment this is what I thought of blah blah but I can see now this would be better so next time there you go see your traditional knock the, the phone over moment there we go it's oh. a thing now uh, it's ghosts it's ghosts um but yeah it's it's i i just i i'm that guy i just never think we have enough communication in this world and definitely not in our respective fields and i mean even if you run an ems call you really just go and sit and tell stories about it right you don't really run how could it have gone better what's different about it this and that and the other um you know that's something that should be changed. And here's my thing. In order to change that, you have to get people to care. And in order to care, that means you got to kick out the people who don't care. But we're already at a shortage of EMS personnel and volunteers. I know, but that's why it's called standards. We need standards in our field. And that um, that's, that's tough, right? Because with paramedics especially if they don't like it they can always go somewhere else right and volunteers how do you motivate people to care and still show up you know it's like oh i gotta take all these classes and i gotta dedicate this much time out of my life during the week i'll tell you that's the second reason why i don't volunteer you know first reason is i do not want to be running into buildings and and putting out fires but i respect the ranking system and i respect putting in your time um I, I i i get that if i'm a brand new firefighter and i have firefighter one this is my job i just don't want to do that job so if you allow me to do the helpful stuff i'll do that but i understand that i can't be a volunteer for that um the second reason is three in the morning i really don't care i need my sleep i got stuff to do tomorrow i gotta get up and save lives um <laughs> you know i gotta i gotta you know i just Oh, oh, you got a, a lift assist at four in the morning? Sorry. I'm not interested. I don't want to, I don't want to do that. Uh, Roy Perry says, we do have standards. Can the rest keep up with them? And that's the thing, right? Can they keep up? And it doesn't matter. I mean, when you come down to, I mean, Roy and I most recently worked together at Trinity EMS. And when it comes down to a, a small call volume and, and an up and coming company and trying to do things, it's hard enough to go, how do we get somebody to come work here when there's four calls today? Maybe there's going to be six. And more than likely, you'll get off on time, but it's not exciting. It's not not great that way, right? And then, you know, uh, we then we don't have people to run the calls that we do have. And, you know, that's... I try to hold standards. I'm, I'm wrapping up the AEM, AEMT class for Georgia Institute of EMS, and it's a digital class. So it's not like I'm finishing a class that's going. I'm recording all the lectures. And as I built out all of the tests, more and more into it, at some point about chapter 20, I started saying, all right, you are now responsible for everything that you learned in EMT school. End of story, because I believe in personal responsibility. And you're going through advanced school. This isn't the time to go, oh, you can't test me on basic airway because you didn't tell me about, uh, you're an EMT fool. You at least finished the class. I'm holding you to that standard, period, in the story. And then you're responsible to remember every chapter that you've learned up to this point. I finished up chapter 48 today, and most of that test is just national registry. It's a, it's a 135-question test, 45 questions at best were off the chapter that I recorded today. And really, the mix is not even 45 questions. It's probably about 30 questions were off the chapter that I recorded today. The rest were off of recent chapters. And then the rest of that 135 question test is national registry because you've got to hold that. You've got to be willing to show up. Man, Roy, I remember 
I remember one of the days that all of us got into an argument and Huey was even involved and we're like, well, Kelly's doing this and, and Charles is doing that and Chuck's doing this and Roy's doing that. And Roy stood up and basically said, standards have slacked because this is what the standard used to be. And I came in, I did it and I did it. And I did it. And then it showed that nobody cared that I did it. I mean, it, it, it was, I can't remember the exact phrasing. He didn't do it in a way that people were like, well, screw you, man. He did it in a way that people went, Oh, yeah, you, you kind of have a point that there was a standard. And even even Huey had to say, who was our immediate supervisor, yeah, we're, we we kind of haven't been holding that standard. You know, and then then once somebody starts letting go of their standards, where does it where does it stop? Where does it matter? And that's the hardest thing is you know, I'm holding I, I'm the digital media director for DragonCon, right? That track. And so I'm holding a standard for all of my panels, which matters more than ever this year because it's just a digital convention now. I was like, no, if you're not going to step up and do this, or here's a point for you, Super Chief, is um, I had I get I take feedback. I'm always listening to feedback. I'm always listening to to how we do things and how we can improve things. I no longer think I'm the all be all of, of the world. I do think the world still revolves around me. I just realized I can learn stuff to make it revolve a little bit better. That's all. Uh, and I had this guy uh, complain about how the, the tables were diamonds. So essentially you're kind of at 45 degree angles to the person you're talking to, which means you're at kind of 45 degree angles to the audience, but you know, your head can turn. It's pretty easy. And he's like, well, I didn't like the tables because we couldn't see the audience. And dude, I legit as a director in a recording that I put out there, everybody went, you're stupid. If you can't turn your head, man, that's on you. Are you seriously complaining that you had to turn a little bit? No, that's called audience engagement 101, man. And don't come back to my track, <laughs> you know, but there, so you got to set standards and hold them. And yeah, uh, Roy is, is mentioning Pat Atkins and April saying Pat was great. Pat was great. Um, I didn't agree. Here's the thing. I didn't agree with all the standards. So I fought some of them. Right. Um, but as I've gotten older and gotten better into my, career i still don't necessarily agree with polyester pants and patent leather polished shoes because those patent leathers especially were slicker than baby snot in the rain on i-20 you know it was just those are not good boots are good but holding a standard of grooming that needs to progress with society like today i don't know what the standards are for for national now but when i got hired i could not work there today i've got a faux hawk i've got an earring i've got this goatee and they were like no we're, that's not a thing here uh, it might be different now, but even you, Douglas, you couldn't wear your beard when I worked at National, you know. Um, so standards have to progress, right? Standards have to change, but standards need to be there. They don't change. They don't like get dropped. They can just grow and change as we grow and change as a, a progressive society and whatnot. Um, but that's neither here between fire. Well, you know what? I'll leave this because we got we got a few minutes left, Douglas. With all that being said, progression and change. I feel like EMS is way more progressive and easy to change than firefighting. Yes, because I'll give you my perspective on it. EMS, generally speaking, I know there's exceptions. I know you can argue either way, but generally EMS is a paid career. It has a job title. It's got, you know, this is how I'm earning my living. This is my duty to act. It's, it's for the most part, more regulated than, than fire. So it's easier to go, Hey, look, this, this is how things are progressing. Um, you want to keep your job, then you got to do these things in fire in Georgia. From my perspective, volunteers don't like anybody telling them what to do. Yeah. And training council started in 16 and said, Hey, here's, I forget what it was, 20, 30 pages worth of rules that you've got to do. And two years into it, they were coming across departments that were like, screw you. You can't tell me what to do. And they said, Oh no, yes, yes, we can. And so now the state legislator before this COVID stuff came in, the state legislator was looking at doing away with those rules because there was so much pushback on you can't tell me what to do. I'm the volunteer. Mm. I, and I know where I, I stand on that. I can appreciate both halves of it because I 
I know what it's like to try to provide professional service because like you've got, you've, everybody I know has a story of, well, I think volunteers are stupid because I watched them at a fire one time. Yeah. If that was my only experience, I would have believed that volunteers are stupid. It's not my own experience. Yeah. So I don't believe that volunteers are stupid, not because I am one, but because I understand the stupid is the stupid does. <laughs> what do you understand? I understand why you get that, that I'm just going to say the stupid actions of a few that tarnish the reputation of the many. There are very, very, very professional volunteer places all across the state. There are a few wild cards and the wild cards are what get the attention. On the other hand, I can tell you how difficult it is to go to a guy who's, you know, 35, 40 years old because, I mean, in my 10 years, we get probably half of the firefighters are those young single guys who want to do something exciting. And half of our volunteers are the guys that have settled down. They've got some kids. Maybe, maybe their kids are getting on up into high school or something. They're looking for something to do. So we've got a good bit of the 35, 45-year-old guys. Okay. If I go to this guy who's got a wife, kids, a job, He's got hobbies. If I go to him and go, hey, you're going to have to sacrifice three nights a week, four hours a night for the next six months just before you can even come to a meeting, he's going to be like, eh, go pound sand. Right, right. No, there's there's definitely meeting people. When you say I can see both sides, I'm like, no, nah, people need to stop seeing both sides to be real with some of this stuff. Standards are standards. Now, you want to come volunteer. Okay, here's the standards. You can volunteer this much. For this amount of time before you get your education because we want you to get we want you to get connected and that's marketing man that's that's the first hit of the drug is free that you know that's we want you to get involved and tied in and feel like you matter absolutely come on be a part of that here's our meetings you're gonna have to meet at least if you have two meetings a month you're gonna have to at least make one of those each month right but at a certain point you will have to if you really want to keep volunteering you're going to have to commit if you want to go up to higher levels, whatever. Somehow, I'm not in it. I don't have time to come up with a great scenario, but basically, it's like you have to get this training at this point. Otherwise, yeah, pound sand because we don't need you. I, I get that. That's how I would proceed if I was left to my own devices, but I'm not. I'm forced to follow what the state council says, and the state council says, Metro Atlanta has the exact same standards as Podunk Ogathorpe. Our lawyer said so. Therefore, you guys have to have the same standard. And that, that, that's, that's out of your hands. That's the problem yeah. with the standards uh -huh. for fire. And that's that where we need they're, to. They're unachievable. Yeah. Well, that's where we definitely need to get more involved in our, our re related groups like the EMS uh, Alliance. Not the EMS Alliance. Um, uh there's the Georgia Firefighter yeah, right. Association, the Georgia yeah, Association, EMT Association of Georgia, yeah. those kind of things. Yeah, we need to see. We can call our representatives. I mean, you and I, we didn't even call them. We just started talking trash about the representative who funded the, or who proposed the bill the about the cancer bill. bill for firefighting, right? And we was like, no, this is not good. And it got word back, got back to me. He called in on the show. He's like, hey, well, let me, let me set some things straight real quick. And we didn't back off, but yeah, you can get involved with the people and that's hard. That is hard to do, but I'm with, and that's why you're super chief. That's the level you play as you need to get these things changed so that Atlanta and Oglethorpe are not run at the same level. Cause they're not the same thing. Yeah. We need to do another one of our, our fire shows. Okay. Next Sometime. week. Sure. All right. Well, and we can broadcast to the fire channel at the same time. Uh, yeah, yeah, you know, bring the heat, you know, we'll, we'll do that. But for now, this is going to be the end of the podcast. And just for those who are listening, if you're still listening on the podcast, Ronnie is actually doing better. They're looking at possibly taking them off the vent pretty soon. So that's all good news. If you know Ronnie Franklin or if you have anybody uh, in EMS, that has, that's the thing. He was a paramedic or he is a paramedic rather got exposed to COVID and hit him and hit him hard. Uh, you know, but Ronnie hits back. I learned that the hard way. So <laughs> uh, it's good that he, he is coming, uh, showing signs of improvement. If you'd like to submit your topics and questions to us, Charles at GAIEMS.com. That's G as in go, A as in ah, I as in if, 
He is. <laughs> he is in Edward. M is in maybe. S is in shh.com. I just do it. I just go all over the place just to see your face and have you. So you're, I mean, you're turning red. You're like, that's not right. That's not right. Uh, so yeah, hit me up with my email. And we'd like that. Oh, I'll talk about anything. We'll talk about everything. So maybe next week we're going to talk about uh, how we change some standards and how some standards are BS. And I mean, even Roy had mentioned for the betterment of fire service, that's BS. You know, um, yeah. So we'll get back to it. Uh, and uh, yeah, do this on Wednesdays. Right now we're shooting at four o'clock Wednesday afternoons on facebook.com slash Georgia Institute of EMS where you can watch the live show. YouTube is youtube.com slash Georgia Institute of EMS. And of course, the the podcast can be found on anchor.fm slash EMS Underground. Uh, Douglas, thanks for being in. Nicole, thanks for sharing him as you stalk him from behind. That's hilarious. And uh, yeah, we'll try this again next week. <laughs>